Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So welcome to the Christian Marauder Show here. Just welcome on this Saturday, uh, October, was it the 17th? Yes. Uh, we're going to begin in a few minutes. Just going to give you a short update. We are in, I live in Colorado in the Fort Collins area, Fort Collins, Loveland area. Uh, Loveland, Colorado and, uh, is under uh, fire watch. So are we, um, we have some high winds that will be coming through. We have a, a the largest fire in Colorado state history burning outside of town. It's about 10 to nine miles away from my house uh, due west. And in Loveland, Colorado, it's five miles, or maybe five to four miles away from Loveland, Colorado. It is approaching the western end of Loveland, Colorado. Several of the reservoirs and communities, the Carter Lake, Pine Lake, are being mandatorily eva evacuated right now. And so a lot of communities, Highway 34 between Fort Collins and Estes Park is closed. Uh, a lot of communities up there, Glen Haven, small communities, Drake are being are evacuated. I don't know what will happen to Estes Park. Estes Park so far is in the clear. This today, it looks like Fort Collins will be in the clear, but the western end of Loveland may not. We'll have to see how that develops. I know that this will also air on the Daily Renegade after, way after the fact, but just as, just think of this as a, a, a snapshot in time. And <laughs> so that's what we are dealing with. We live in a time of... Uh, great perplexity that's all i gotta say <laughs> so if i cough a little bit don't worry you're not sick just a little bit of smoke uh we have smoke it's the smell of smoke drifting down our uh, bathroom vents and i'm here in the basement we have our, our vent pipe to outside by our furnace it has to be there you know by code so i have smoke coming in down here in the basement Smells like uh, someone's having a fire somewhere, you know. I guess they are. So just let you all know. With that, we are going to get started on today's uh, lesson or today's message on the Christian Marauder here. If you're ready to go, we're going to go ahead with that little introduction there while people are joining in. So we are on episode eight, and I call today's message Throne Wars because we're going to look at Revelations chapter four concerning the throne room of God and possibly get into some of chapter five the lord permits so with that i'm just going to pray this is going to be a very hard message to do heavenly father just come before you right now in the name of jesus I ask you to anoint the messenger here to be able to give your word and express what you showed me to express i've tried to express this for years and i always stumble on it it's so hard to express what your glory is what it is accurately and straighten matters out 
to people so they can understand just who you are, how glorious you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, did you know that there are two thrones out there? There are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness that are locked in a titanic spiritual war where the stakes are high that will determine where one will spend eternity. There are two kingdoms, two thrones, vying for the hearts and souls of men. So I ask each of you listening today, what side are you on? Well, we're going to find out as we continue our study on the book of Revelation here on the Christian Marauder. And be sure to select, I'm going to mention this, select the subscribe button and ring that bell and like the page too. With that, let's briefly review what we have covered so far. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we learned how the letters to the seven churches addressed actual churches that existed back then. Now, each takes center stage during the church age history. And what each church will be like when judgment begins in the house of God first because five out of the seven churches have dropped the ball. How? Well, we saw that the five churches taught their people how to lose their first love, how to justify the occult, how to bring dominionist control into the church or progressive deadness into the church, and that rich in need of nothing gospel into the church, opening the door wide for the devil and his bunch to waltz right on in to the world, right on into culture, and bring the end of the world to for us right now. We also saw how two of these churches remain true to Jesus and each other. So, Revelation chapter 4 opens a new chapter revealing what goes on behind the scenes of God's throne room and how it operates during this great spiritual war against the throne room of darkness, as we shall see out of the rest of the book of Revelation as we get there. So, John begins in Revelation chapter 4 stating this, after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. After these things. What does that mean? After these things can refer to the time after the judgment of God on the seven churches has run its course, and the time for repentance in those five churches has run its course and ended. Next, notice what John says in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. I mean, this door was wide open. So what does that mean? Well, John looked and he saw an open door. This expresses several, many different things by many different scholars. I'm going to go over a few right now. Expresses several things. First, that opening was granted to John to see God in his throne room. It was a special revelation. Not only does John see the Lord God, but he will soon see God's heavenly divine counsel in operation, pouring out God's wrath on a world that exchanged the truth for a lie. The lie is to exalt their throne above God's, just like the devil did. We'll see that later as we progress and get into the book of Revelations. You got to remember there are layered meanings about this phrase, saw a door opened in heaven. There's more than just one simple linear meaning to scripture sometimes, especially prophetic scriptures. There's more than just, uh, there's layered meanings in it. it just, I went through that already in the prior messages on the seven churches. So, so when John saw the door open and he heard the phrase, come up hither, this can also indicate when Isaiah chapter 26 verses 19 and 24 happens. I'm going to read out of the New King James and it says this, your dead shall live together with my dead body, they shall arise. Awake, sing, you who dwell in the dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs and the earth shall cast out the dead. 
Notice how that verse matches what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 18, out of the New King James. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Now let's continue with Isaiah 26 verses 20 and 21 here. After that other verse, that first verse I read, listen to what how it goes. Come, my people, enter your chamber, shut the doors behind you, hide yourself as it were for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord, Yahweh, comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. Notice it does not say Israel's one location on earth, but refers to a time when God's wrath falls on all the entire inhabitants of all the earth. And that has not happened yet, has it? You got to remember there are, um, like I said, there are layered meanings in Bible prophecy, the past, the history to the present, and the final future. In Revelation chapter uh, 1, verse 19, I, I went over that. I kind of showed you. Yes, the land of Israel can apply to both the Babylonian captivity and to the destruction of Israel in 70 AD. You can apply that verse to that if you'd like, as well as the events mentioned in Revelation. When God's final wrath is poured out on all flesh and the new heavens and earth come, making all things new without sin, sickness, and the devil. Amen. Shout glory on that one, I tell you. Listen to what Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 3 says from the New King James. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth. The word meek means having your power under God's control. I repeat that again. Seek the Lord, all you meek who have your power under God's control, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. That is a principle found throughout Scripture. I mean, that principle stands true. God saves his remnant somehow. He does. When it looks the blackest and the darkest and, the, and you think there's nobody else around, just like Elijah did, uh, you know, Elijah despaired of his life. And God says, I have 6,000 more who have not bowed in their knee to Baal. They have, they, they have not bent the knee. Okay? You get the picture. Jesus tells us to watch and pray to be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before him. This is called the first resurrection. Maybe Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 implies the same event in a sequence as John saw it back then. Sometime after the judgment in the house of God winds down before the end time judgment and wrath on all the earth begins. Just think about it. After all, John saw this open door and he heard a voice like a loud trumpet. I do not think anyone here really knows for certain if John being called up symbolizes the rapture or not. Scholars debate this. I'm going to let you decide. I'm just going to report it. I'm going to let you decide on, on, on what if this applies to the rapture or not. You decide. I'm just reporting it. Look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 again. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must 
take place after this. I like the King James, how it says, come up hither and I'll show you things in which much take place. But anyway, I just, I just like that verse a lot there. Please note, God called, we're going to address another subject now. God called John up. John did not do anything to earn this, nor did he do any exercises to get called up to heaven. He did not write any books on how to ascend to heaven on a dying. Nor does the Bible teach this was a common practice of a new revelation for the future anytime at all. Notice how Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, as well as Peter, John, and disciples, when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration, did not gin up the experience they saw. God alone calls up. No human can call themselves up to the throne room of God. No human can do that. However, in the Gnostic tradition, in the Murtha religions, which we talked about in the last two, um, uh, later to see, uh, uh, the Murtha religions claim they can. How? By ascending up to higher levels on this ladder with helping angelic beings or gods or sages to guide them on how to meet God and ascend to his throne room to get secret revelation so you can be the human apps who will bring the secret revelation on earth. The Mirtha and Gnostic traditions, the New Age movement teaches this. Remember Pergamum and Thyatira. This is kind of what they teach too. They bring the occult world into the church to seek to control it. Just 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 think. Let your mind wander. Just get out of get out of La La Land for a second, okay? But what throne could these people possibly be seeing these gnostic types what could they be seeing who could could who possibly could they be seeing they're definitely having experiences remember paul warns that satan himself can appear as an angel of light john warns to test the spirits after all the new age movement especially alice bailey who channeled a lot of these entities and the occult claim the same principle that you can ascend I just did a study, and I hope to be able to do this online and do a video on this. I want to show you it, how through uh, uh, Alice Bailey's Treaty of White Magic, uh, the hierarchy, her writings at hierarchy, seven rays of light, and a whole bunch of others, type in these words. <laughs> type in these words and see what, it, see what they teach. The words of destiny, victory, positioning, position, uh, mantles, Flow, decree, declare, fire. Oh boy, just type in the word fire and, and, and you're going, I found actual things that sound like what some people teach in the church. And you notice they always use the same slogans, just like the demonic beings did, who Alice Bailey channeled. It blows the mind. It just blows the mind how this stuff could get in church. But the Lord addressed this in the Church of Pergamum and Thyatira. You have those of Jezebel and, and, and Thyatira teach this stuff. And you have those in Pergamum who, who allow Satan's throne to come right on in. And have a Nicolaitan hierarchy of super elites to lead the way. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you. So the throne that they are seeing, Paul warns that Satan himself can appear as an angel of light. John warns us to test the spirits. Why doesn't anybody do that anymore? Why no one tests these days is beyond me. Maybe they enjoy being the I am of heavenly encounters so one can get rich and be in need of nothing. 
Who knows? I don't. I don't know their motives. But the Bible nowhere teaches that before God can do a new thing, he tells his prophets in order to teach people how to vacation in heaven on a whim for shifting and breakthroughs and wealth transfers. We can find that, that information in Alan Bailey's work. Just look at her works, type in those words and all her works, and you'll get an earful. I'm warning you. I'm just giving you a warning. You can take it or leave it. It's up to you. I love you. If I don't warn you, it's on me. My, 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 I'm going to get this off. I'm going to warn you. Now, I got to tell you, there are true encounters where God might call somebody up. Those that have actually been called up have a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord and will not exploit the event to exalt themselves. Why? They have seen the Lord. They were undone by the experience and being undone silences all pride and self-exaltation and ticket selling. The Bible verifies this as what happens when God calls somebody up. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and I was undone. John saw the Lord high and lifted up and he fell down. It was as, as though dead. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I do actually do know what I'm talking about here. I do know people who have actual experiences. They have been undone by the experience. They hate their pride. They hate self-exaltation to a degree that you cannot even imagine. The Apostle Paul had the same disdain for pride and exaltation and even had a messenger of, of the devil to buffet him to keep his pride down. And he knew it because he needed God's grace. Okay? Likewise, false visitations will lead to puffing one up as the elites are the ones to lead the church to ascend to heaven to get secret revelations on how to have a breaker anointing, a prosperity anointing, a healing anointing, a rich and need of nothing anointing. Just think about it. Or receive your prophetic general star mantle or any other such nonsense as that. Or how to get one's personal travel agent license to sell tickets to heaven and back either to get their own secret revelation anointing or whatever. You know, you, you, you know, you got, you know, you, God called you as a personal travel agent with the license to sell tickets to heaven and back. <laughs> I got to tell you, that's the Gnostic Mirtha New Age occult stuff. That's Alice Bailey garbage. And the church at Pergamon Thyatira is alive and well on planet Earth today. You think? And I tell you, when I see some of those folks, oh, their humble pride, their unpretentious arrogance of this bunch is absolutely amazing. I, 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 if they actually had an encounter and they saw God, they would not act like that. I guarantee you it. So as we near the end of the age, the devil will show more lying signs and wonders like this to distract his people, divide the church, and teach a need for a civil war in the church. The devil's throne room is at work on such as people like that. I want you to keep that in mind. You got to remember, five of the churches do not warn about the occult world or the works of Alice Bailey. They don't even hesitate, never even to mention the new world order. Next, John writes in Revelation chapter 4 two this. Chapter 4, verse 2. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Well, let's look at the phrase, John was in the spirit. What does that mean? It means what Utley's Bible study commentary says about it. And I'm just going to quote, whether this is a spiritual trance or a physical transportation is uncertain, end quote. Folks, I simply agree with what other commentary and people and scholars who are much smarter than I 
say about that. Nobody really knows for certain, but I'll give you my opinion on it. John was already in the spirit on the Lord's day in chapter one. And now again here. So probably both meanings apply here. What is clear, this is this was not astral projection or Gnostic mirthicism in any, any way because it was not human induced. For example, in, in Acts chapter 10, Peter was on the roof. He was distracted with being very, very famished. He was very hungry when he had an open vision. It came unexpectedly. He was fully conscious and he knew that where he was, he was on the roof of a house. And then after it was over, he went down to meet the visitors knocking on the door and the vision through the vision, he obeyed God completely and fully. Okay, just remember that. Okay, before chapter four, John most likely was in open vision mode. That's the best I can say it, writing about the seven churches and the things that he saw then. But now it says here he is called up in the spirit by God's sole discretion alone. He says, Come up hither. That was a, that's a direct invite. John did not force it, he was called up, meaning he had an invite. Such an invite is a rare thing indeed. It says in Revelation 4.1 out of the New King James Version. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me saying, Come up here, I'll show you things which must, must take place after this. In other words, in my opinion, John was transformed into a spiritual man somehow so, so he would not corrupt heaven with his fleshly nature so that he could see and write what God permitted him and nothing else. Just like how the prophet Isaiah and Ezekiel and Paul were all miraculously invited up to see the Lord on high and lifted up. And they were able not to die in the process of seeing the Lord. Remember, <clears throat> Moses was not allowed to see the full majesty of the Lord. Because anyone who sees the full majesty of the Lord <clears throat> in, their, in their fleshly nature, or their flesh, they're, they're going to die. That's what it says. That's what, that's what the Bible teaches out of Exodus there. Moses wants to see the full manifested uh, glory of God. And, and God says, no one has seen my full presence and lived. That's what it was saying out of those verses. And But you I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. And as I pass by, I will proclaim my name before you. But anyway, so no one can see the full manifest glory so god reveals himself in the theophanies and, and stuff like that so people can behold his uh, behold him so to speak i won't get into the theological ramifications of all that right now i'm just saying that john probably most likely best i can ascertain was transformed into a spiritual man to be able to see god high and lift up on his throne room because if he was transferred up there in his flesh or something he would he would still be in heaven. <laughs> so he had some sort of protection. That's what that means there. Paul writes he could not fully tell of his experience of being transferred up to heaven. That's what Paul says in, in the book of Corinthians there. Why these folks seen the Lord high and lifted up. And again, they were all undone by the experience. The word undone is a, in Hebrew, out of Isaiah chapter 6, in Hebrew means to be cut off to be destroyed, to be undone, unmade. It means to be ruined. Your pride is ruined. Your arrogance is ruined. Your self-exaltation is destroyed. It's undone. It's cut off. You are aware of your own pride, and you know you deserve God's wrath and not mercy in a way you cannot even explain or fully articulate. 
and all evil desire, you just want to destroy. You want to get. You just want to get get it out. You just want to stay in God's presence. You want no. You want no evil way. You want no none of your pride. You want no pride. You want no pride. You want no self exaltation. So, in other words, that's destroyed and doesn't rule them anymore. That's what it's talking about. Being undone. People who have actual experiences have that happen to them. And guess what? You don't hear about them. <laughs> They're not allowed to speak in churches because they ain't going to pull any punches. And they're going to tell it like it is. You people having trips to heaven on a dime, you ain't. We'll call you on it. That's what these people will do. What John saw was the actual throne room of God. Revelation chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, the New King James says, Immediately I was in the spirit and beast. And, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, verse 3, and he who sat there was like a jasper and sardis stone in appearance. There was a rainbow around the throne in the appearance like an emerald. All details are important in Bible prophecy. The colors, everything, are important. And the Bible has biblical definitions of meanings of symbols and representations, example, and meanings for gemstones. For example, jasper and sardis stone. Well, the jasper stone is a multicolored reddish, clear, yellow, brown gemstone. It has multicolors. This indicates it was reflecting a prism of different colored lights. Each one of those colors represents something. It's like a prism of light coming out of people who have seen the Lord understand this concept. And sardis stone is a ruby red gemstone that shines its red in this same prison of light. And up above there was an emerald uh, rainbow circle around God's throne, almost like a covering. It describes in the Bible, it's almost like a, a covering over God. And so both the stones, Sardis and the, and the um, Jasper stone, represents these things in the Bible. It represents royalty, power, authority, affluence, prestige, and valiance. You get this from Lamentations chapter 4, verse 5, Daniel chapter 5, verse 7, 16, and 29, Nahum chapter 2, verse 3, all express these types of things. Also, these stones represent faithfulness, God's divine order. Both also indicate the perfection, the sanctification of the saints, one who is persistent in doing righteous work, conquering spiritual enemies, is and also expresses a, one who gives rewards for service and valor. This part is seen in the casting of the victor crowns before the Lord. We'll see in the next few verses. Bible interprets Bible. If you know how to read the symbols and the signs correctly, stay away from the wackiness. Dig a little bit. It's very easy to find this stuff. John goes on describing an emerald rainbow around the throne of God too. The emerald green represents new life. That's all it means. It means also it means the creator of all life on earth and in heaven. In other words, the emerald uh, rainbow here means that God's in charge. He is sovereign. He's all powerful. He's the creator of all life. He owns it all. There's a there's a holy all there. It's a holy green. Think of it that way. That God's sovereign. He's the giver of life. He gives new life. That's the idea of that. Okay with that let me continue verse 4 and out of the new king james read around the throne were 24 thrones and on the thrones i saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes and they had crowns of gold on their head the word crown is the meaning the 
laurel leaf victor's crown that you see the people in the olympics get okay in the ancient times so first let's look at the 24 elders that said on 24 thrillings numbers do have meanings in the bible if you stick with the biblical definitions that are defined in the bible itself go back and look at my study on bible numbers to get a clue on what i'm talking about here so you have 24 elders and who they are actually i don't haven't read a, a, any any commentaries yet that basically it says anybody knows for certain who they are they're very opinions that they could be leaders of the uh, of the 12 tribes of israel and the 12 apostles some say they represent the church at the at, at the first resurrection I, I don't know they could also represent jewish and gentile believers the church they could also represent angels nobody really knows however they must be of some importance because they all wore the gold victor's crown uh, woven golden laurel leaf just like the athletes won in their olympic games back then they had victor crowns we'll see them take these gold laurel leaf stephanos crowns these laurel and toss them at god's feet and there's and you will find out why because the gold symbolizes they're giving their hearts to the lord because of who he is he's high and lifted up they surrender okay that's what that means and they surrender their victory they surrender their life because they know their victory was done through god it's not theirs god deserves the victory and and since he deserves a victory he deserves our heart lord help me teach this <laughs> for 24 is also the number in the bible that came to mean two has two two meanings here it means the first root meaning it means the royal priesthood heavenly government a heavenly council of elders the heavenly council that's what the number means and the second meaning is those who provide an abundance of service in the temple of god are are some type of service so the elders provide some sort of service and so forth etc that's the idea here now if you add 24 elders with 24 thrones together you get the number 48. i found i just had to do this just to check out stuff so you have 48 and 48 means this in biblical numbers it means the father's blessings from his dwelling place to bless someone um for with rewards for service <laughs> i'm not making that up i'm just saying again it matches the scene that john saw when the 24 elders cast their victor crowns before the lord now why would they do that let's see revelation chapter 4 verse 5 and from the throne proceeded lightning, thundering voices, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Remember, the seven spirits of God are the seven attributes of the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, that's what that means. And from the throne proceeded lightning, thundering, and voices indicating God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Ancient Israel saw the same in Exodus and drew back in fear dread and terror when moses went up the mountain and saw the thunderings and lightnings and heard the voices rumbling up there so you ever been in a severe thunderstorm <laughs> the lightning hitting bouncing around you it's like it's so loud the earth shakes um, um you can feel electricity moving through the ground and you're hunkering down hope you don't get struck so that's what it's describing it's just fear and dread because you realize you ain't so high and lifted up you ain't hot stuff you you ain't you don't got it you don't got it and that's what this being presented here lord high and lifted up lightnings and thundering end in death of self making you undone to yourself 
it's a, it's a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord that the modern church simply lacks these days. This speaks of the majesty of the Lord who is and is to come, the Almighty. <coughs> Excuse me, the smoke is coming down that, that vent pipe there. So this throne displays the full manifest glory of God's character traits, nature, majesty. And what the thundering and lightnings mean is these uh, character traits, nature, and the majesty of the Lord is not to be trifled with any longer. Enough is enough. You can't mock it. You can't pit it against each other in order to get your gets anymore. He's saying he's in charge. Listen up, buddy. You ain't it. Well, there are two thrones locked in a spiritual war, God's and the devil's. The devil and his minions in his divine counsel seek to pit the attributes of God's name and character and nature against each other in a vain attempt to overthrow God in an arena called earth, in this arena earth. How? If God acts contrary to his own nature and in name, his character, then God has denied himself and thus he cannot be fully God, all powerfully able to do all things powerfully well. The Bible says it is impossible for God to deny himself and that's found in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. However, the devil and his bunch seek to exalt the devil's throne above God, because that's the, in Isaiah chapter 14. That's the devil's game to exalt his throne above God, making God submissive to him. Because he knows if he, if, he, if he tried to wipe God out of non-existence and God is the creator of life, all life would cease. So he wants to put God under his feet. That's the throne above God. So that's the idea. So they will seek to overthrow God by attacking God's character traits. And um, so how does he do it? He tries to get people to attack God's character trait, demanding that God live up to his standards or he ain't God. You're a God of love, so love is love. you got to accept everybody in heaven. What a prideful, arrogant statement. You know. So the devil attacks God's character traits by having those who God created and um, change their image and likeness is a, a direct attack on God's standard that he cannot keep his word that he made man in his image and likeness. However, through Jesus Christ, it says in, in, in the cross that redeems and restores us, Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through 30 tells us this is what predestination means. We are predestined to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be transformed in, <clears throat> into the image and character of Jesus Christ. That's what we were created to be. In other words, we're to govern the world around us by the character traits of God. We're to reflect that. And that was restored and given back to the church. So there's this tug of war. There's a wrestling match between two thrones, two kingdoms. From now on, from Revelation chapter Four, all the way to the end of the end of uh, chapter 20 we'll see this tug of war this wrestling match between two thrones two kingdoms where God's character traits are being revealed all throughout the Bible and they prove that he is God that lives true to himself with no shadow or variation of turning and with this I'm going to jump right into God's character traits so you can understand who God is and how the devil is trying to pit God's character traits against each other. And also how he's trying to destroy humanity and use man as pawns to do so. Now God comes and restores and redeems humanity through Jesus Christ. There's a big, huge, a, a lot of info there. I can't go through it all. But I'm going to show you 
God takes back no gift, calling, or promise. He, he's, like he says in Isaiah 55, he carries out his word. His word's going to accomplish what it's sent for, way beyond what anyone thinks how it could ever happen. He is in charge. He knows what he's doing. He's sovereign. Lightning, thunders, and earthquakes around him, okay? So he's a living God. He's a God of the living, not the God of the dead. In other words, God does not take away life into a state of non-existence. If God took away life in a state of non-existence, he would not be a living God. He would be God of the dead. God doesn't take away life into a state of non-existence. That type of knowledge, if you heard me teach before, is why the devil got away with the rebellion, because he knew God wasn't going to exterminate him in non-existence. He knew how righteous and just and holy and fair God is, so he's going to play against all those character traits of righteousness, fairness, love, mercy, and compassion against God in order to try to overthrow God, to get God to act contrary to himself so he can exalt his throne above God's. Listen to what God told Moses about himself, because the best place to start finding out who God is, what his character traits is, and what he's really like is in the Bible. <laughs> and what God says about himself, and he says in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 3 and 4 to Moses, when he passed by him, he says, For I will proclaim the name of the Yahweh, ascribe greatness to our God. He is rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. He is a God of truth without injustice, righteous and upright as he. It says here, his way, God's ways are justice. He is so just beyond what we can think. And he's good to all. He, he likes to reason and have fellowship with those he made with free moral reasoning will. He says in Isaiah chapter 1 there, come let us reason together. He gave us free moral will so we can reason together. And so that we can decide on our... Uh, and stuff and, and talk to him. He wants fellowship, okay? Doesn't need it. He's self-sufficient, but out of he, he did so for reasons unknown to me. God is that just and he never denies that. In a way I can kind of see that he he he, he likes to share who he is. <coughs> so no wonder he created. His way is perfect, maturing. That means making whole and sound. His way is always in the process of making what is mature, working what is whole and sound. You may not like the process. You may not like living in a fallen world. But if you go through the stuff, you'll find out that he strengthens you. He makes you whole and sound and preparing you for a new heavens and earth, Christian. God is without injustice. In other words, he does not unjustly force his will upon us. Nor does he try to demand that we comply or not. That's... He leaves, he wants, uh, he wants us to decide. He's not slave to our decisions. He will violate our free will to wake us up to, for our need for God. But, you know, he already knows despite what will happen and who will reject him and who will not, he will still let those who reject him, reject him, still let them live their lives. He's that just because he doesn't take away life. Just think about it. God wants free and a willing exchange. Either one can accept him or not. He does not violate how he made humanity. He gave a gift and promise to them. You have authority, dominion, so forth, etc. Uh, he allows us all to reason and speak freely. In other words, he allows free speech. If you don't believe me, why would he have the Ten Commandments saying not to take the Lord's name in vain? Meaning that person could. People do all the time. He allows free speech.
Just think about it. In this, you can justly teach what is right and wrong through living objective lessons. He does not want some automatons. He wants willing elders who will be part of his living heavenly council to fellowship with him and work through them in the management of his heavenly kingdom on earth. Okay, I'm just letting you mind wonder on that. The devil's kingdom is all about conformity or else. All must be forced to think alike. There's no free speech allowed, no rights. It's all the devil's way or the highway. And he makes people uh, think that he's good and God is evil. He mirrors that uh, mindset onto humanity in the last days when lawlessness abounds and the love of many grow cold. God allows the free exchange of ideas because he is that just to all because he cannot deny himself being that just. So the devil plays against God's justice, trying to get God to act contrary to his justice, and he's using human beings as pawns. People hate this about God. They say in so many ways, this ain't fair. Next, that's what the devil does. He gets people to say that God's not fair. That's just not fair. Oh, if I were a God, I, I, would, I would just make everything automaton. I'd have strict, strict, strict control. I wouldn't allow any free speech. Next, the devil's kingdom pits God's grace and mercy against each trait by double dog daring God to destroy humanity unjustly. He will even inspire humanity right now to alter human DNA to make humanity non-human as it was in the days of Noah. If you listen to some of my videos, look at some of the other stuff out there, the documentation is strong. Um, there are two noble uh, prize-winning scientists. One is one of the, the head researchers, the two women. One was one of the head researchers of CRISPR technology. I can't remember her name. This won the Nobel Peace Prize, who had a dream. It's on YouTube. You can look it up. And... Her dream on YouTube, uh, she had saw somebody there look like Adolf Hitler from behind. They tapped on him and says, yes, this is the one who wants to purchase your product, your DNA technology. And turned around with Adolf Hitler and she woke up saying, what have I done? I'm just paraphrasing her dream for you. Uh, Oppenheimer, who, saw, who helped create the, uh, the atomic bomb, and many of the scientists said after they saw it explode, what have we done? So with RNA technology in vaccines now, they can alter your human DNA through RNA technology that these two women help create for the betterment of humanity, of course. But do you think humanity and those in charge are going to use this? No, they want to make superhumans so that you are superhuman. Oh, boy, I can go off on that and tell you all kinds of things. They, they even have, folks, um, they're developing an artificial wound, and they got, they're starting to get it very perfected. They're, they're raising lambs in artificial wombs now. And their idea for human beings is there'll be one child per family. And women, you don't have to go through the pain of childbirth anymore. Hallelujah. You can put the sperm in the egg, put them in this, this container, it's an artificial womb. You can watch it grow. You can feed it. You can talk to it. And while you work and for the state and earn your state pay, you can talk to your little baby over there, growing over there in the artificial womb. And when it's ready to be born, you don't have to go through pain, child pain. You have your one child allowed by the state. And, and in any way, that allows everybody to be sexually promiscuous on a dime because through RNH technology, they can heal all diseases, mocking God completely. No justice in that. 
Okay, all of God's ways are justice, <clears throat> the Bible teaches. <coughs> he is a God of truth without injustice. Righteous and upright is he, says the Bible. In other words, God offers mercy to return or reject him completely. He does no wrong. He, he does what is fair. He is fair and just. He's, he's fair and just in the most absolute sense of the word. Exodus 34 reveals what God says about himself here. He says, Yahweh, I'm paraphrasing out of New King James, the Lord, Yahweh, the Yahweh Elohim, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding, abounding in goodness and truth. He's merciful. Folks, he spared Cain, who premeditatively murdered his brother by planting a stone in the field. And he showed mercy. He's that gracious and willing to forgive. But Cain temp was tempted by the devil there to do all this, exploited that. Oh, he's mercy. So anybody who they're, they're going to kill me. So, you know, avenge me. How selfish is that? Even God showed mercy even in that. He even allowed Cain's line to corrupt the entire world just in any way for these people to return back to God by learning that what they're doing ain't good. Okay. He's that long suffering. He's extremely patient and kind. And he leaves no stone unturned or opportunity to return to him to be cut off until an appointed time. There will be an appointed time. I got to tell you, God's sovereignty is like the boundary lines of a football field. You know, you have the outside square lines of a football field, then you have the interior 10-yard markers, and you have the little uh, yard markers. Though the boundaries of a football field represent God's sovereignty, okay? He allows the players to make their own plays on the field. However, they cannot stray away from the boundary lines, and the only way to cross this boundary line is death. And from there... It either will be a life in prison of hell or eternity in heaven that awaits beyond the stadium. On the playing field, the Lord proves he is abounding in goodness and truth, trying to say, look, look how good I am. I allow you to screw up. I allow you to mistake. And you kill your brothers and sisters with your words. I'm willing to take you back. Come on back. Come on back. Come back to Jesus. Jesus paid the price. Come on. Come on back. I'm showing you how good I am. I make the rain fall on the just and unjust. And people want to continue playing games on the football field. Um, goodness of God that he talks about in that verse, goodness conveys the idea of functioning correctly. Everything is beneficial. Functioning beneficially. That means it's good. It's functioning beneficially. In other words, God is steering everything to that purpose, even the bad in life, to his good, to where it will function perfectly and beneficially in the new heavens and earth. God already won. No matter how the players play, God already won. The devil and his minions seek to make chaos and destroy the boundaries of God's protective love by calling these as restrictive, xenophobic, an enemy of freedom and choice. They seek to destroy God's order and set up their intolerant own. God's nature is to love, and to love sets boundaries for one's protection, just like the football field I talked about. A protection against predators, sin, sickness, deception, lies, and what causes harm. But when the players bring that onto the field, it's in the arena. Exodus chapter 34, verse 7 says this, that God keeps mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, and by no means, by no means, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. 
Uh, Job 34, verse 12 says, Surely God will never do wickedly, nor the Almighty pervert justice. He will not. He's absolute, he lives absolutely true to his standard. There's no shadow of turning in that. The devil kingdom seeks to do what? His throne room is at war with God's throne on earth and seeks to do what? He wants to pervert justice so the perverts have rights and all good has been reshaped and synthesized and destroyed. Devil teaches this. He says, you cannot show mercy. It's more merciful to be social justice warriors, pit people against each other, nations and, and races against each other. It's only by revenge and harshness can mercy and justice be restored. That's fair. All this grace and mercy stuff the devil says and allowing freedom stuff is not the way to get things done. You never get anything done. Forget that. Central planning is the best. To be under the devil's control is the best. If you can control everything, the monetary funds, everything, control people's lives, reshape them into superhumans, we can have total control and we'll have utopia. You must look alike, think alike, no freedom of speech, no debate, no discourse, no reason is allowed. It's a one world mindset. We're all thinking, acting like there's no free speech, no grace, no mercy, because grace and mercy denies social justice's revenge. Forgiveness is simply outdated and a waste of time. So go ahead, do as thou will is much better. Never mind the mental pain and all the sickness and disease and the lifestyle choices causes that God warns about not doing. So you can now do them in this new world because the meds that they will create will fix everything. So I'm going to ask you, do you want to live in a kingdom of strict top-down control or a kingdom that allows free moral reasoning? And in this life, on this football field, God proves who he is. And people say, no, they want the devil's control. And all this, the devil tempts God to go against his nature and character. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, He is a rock, his work is perfect. All his ways are justice. A God of truth without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Job 34.12 says, God will never do wickedly or the Almighty pervert justice. God judges the earth with equity, fairness, just as Psalms 98 verse 9 says, For he is coming to judge the earth with righteousness. He shall judge the world and the peoples with equity, fairness. The devil has no fairness. God does. Come back to him. There's no one like God. He's that fair and just. The only true righteous one who swears to his own hurt, he's not partial, nor does he take bribes. The Lord God, Jesus Christ, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whoever's seen the Jesus has seen the Father. That God is stable and unchanging. He's righteous, holy. He's the God of truth. He never lies. His ways and understanding are past finding out. He's a God of love. He's a God who presents his divine order as perfect to, to mankind and let them ruin it on the football field to justify and teach them what love means and really is. It's a harsh lesson, but when you accept Jesus Christ, we win. God wins. We can throw our victor crowns because it's not our victory. We can give our hearts to Jesus. No matter how the other team play, plays on the, on the football field of life here, in this arena of life, and on the field of God's sovereignty, we have a hereafter with the Lord God in the new heavens and earth, <clears throat> free of all the devil stuff, all sin, all sickness. God won the game. The devil keeps trying to move the boundary lines. How? 
by having us blame God for being true to himself and by saying the devil's love is love is far superior above God's love because it lets all be depraved and hell-bent to destroy true loving order, goodness, mercy, truth, and righteousness, and justice, mercy, and grace because that's outdated. That just causes too much problem. People debate. We don't need debate. We need control. You know, here God, he's so good. He makes rain fall on the just and unjust. The devil says, I want to control you. You can't buy or sell or eat unless you have the mark. We'll see that in the book of Revelation where this is going, where the kingdom of darkness wants to take you. The devil says all this stuff is unfair. You need no free speech. You only need revenge. Escape the wrath of God by joining the devil's merry band. Use grace and mercy to get your well-deserved ends. Pit God's character traits against each other to get what you need. There are two thrones at war, war with each other. And I'm going to ask you, which one do you belong to? These two thrones are vying for the hearts and minds of men and women everywhere. God doesn't take back no gift, calling, or promise. He carries out his word. Okay? Do you understand that? He's good to all. He allows free moral reason, despite for knowing how we will use it on the football field there. He takes no gift away from us. He allows us to play, but we are in the boundaries of a sovereignty. We make headway and the devil's team pushes us back because we open the door up somehow and we push us back, 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 and we're about ready to lose it. Then God comes through and, and we go back and forth. And finally, at the end of the game, God's team wins. But we have to learn these lessons on who God is and get that through your thick head. He's not your enemy. Like the devil's trying to make you think. God is that just and he never denies that his ways are perfect, making whole and sound. He's without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. He governs by being merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. He keeps mercies for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. By no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and children through the third and fourth generation. God will never do wickedly, nor will he pervert justice. God judges the earth with equity. There's none like God. He's that fair. He's the only true righteous one. I'm going to repeat. I have to repeat that. I'm driving it home here. Okay. His love has boundaries, rules. God's love has boundaries and rules because if it doesn't, it does not, it's, it's not love. How can God prove that he's a God so loved the world if he doesn't have boundaries and rules? He gave the Ten Commandments to Israel some boundaries and rules to prove what sin is, right? To so have a measuring ground, a playing field to work with. He has boundaries, rules. He has a bound, love has boundaries. You do not let your kids play in a viper's den, do you? You will not let your kids play on the interstate highway. You don't want your kids opening up the cabinets and drinking a bottle of Drano. You want to teach your kids right and wrong, but we have the audacity to tell God, you don't have the right to tell us anything. We, did, we didn't ask to be born. You owe us, God. That entitlement attitude that mankind has. But God's love has boundaries. Why don't you return to my boundaries? I'm good, holy, just, and fair. I'll let you play the game on the field. Look what you're doing. You're losing. Get on the right team. God desires a willing heart to follow him because we look upon him as awesome. 
holy, pure, powerful, almighty. He's a God of truth that ushers and thunders and lightnings, revealing his full majesty of who and what he's really like. And it scares a lot of people. God, nobody can be like that. It's scary to see the living God. He's that just and merciful. And then I see myself, I ain't it. He's holy, pure, kind, loving. And these two thrones are at war with each other. And the devil's doing everything to get you away from understanding who the Lord is. So who do you belong to? God's character traits and nature is defined in the Bible. It's like I said, and he can't deny himself. There's something about knowing this, isn't there? And it begins to change you. No wonder Revelation chapter 4, verses 9 and 11 says this. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, who sits on the throne and worship him and lives forever and ever, and they cast their victory crowns before him, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. My God, you're holy, just, pure. You allow grace and mercy. You allow us the reason and think. You gave us a playing field to play on. We ruined it, but you forgave us. I surrender my life to you. I, I, I can't fight against you. You win. No wonder it says in Revelations 5, verses 1 through 10. And I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who was worthy to open the scroll and to loose the seals? Revelations 5, 3 through 4 says in New King James, and no one in heaven or, or on earth or under the earth was able so I wept much, John said, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But the one and the elder said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. The Lord is who is worthy. Jesus is worthy, who went about doing good, revealing who God is. Jesus did say, who has seen me has seen the Father, Philip. He went about doing good, healing the sick, showing himself good. What did man reply to that? Kill him, crucify him, destroy goodness. God's not fair, is he? Even he allowed you free will, free moral will to make that decision. Oh, he's not fair. He made it so fair, you can reject him. And here the Lord says he wants to redeem us back to God through the sacrifice of the son. Look at verse five, uh, Revelation five, verse six. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to into all the earth. Verse seven. And now he came and took the scroll out of the right hand who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your own blood out of every tribe, tongue, nation, and people and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on earth. You should be praising God and shouting glory for how good he is to you. Even though we go through the hardships in life, they teach us who God is. We are the ones straying away from the boundaries of God's love. We are the ones pitting God's character traits.
There's only one way to teach free moral beings that he created. He wants to reason with and have fellowship how not to rebel by having them go through rebellion themselves and then restoring them, sorting out who will come back and who will not. Even the ones who will not, he'll still let live because he's that just, despite what they'll do. That's how good God is. He's far above all the devil offers. For that, there is throne wars going on. Two thrones. One is the righteous and holy throne room of God, and the other is the devil's throne room who wants to make everybody his slave, even God, by pitting God's character traits and nature against each other and have us do the same too. With that, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you right now. Just, I ask, Lord, is anyone here who actually can see who you are, that they cry out to you right now and say, Lord, save me, take me, I'm yours. I surrender. I want your loving boundaries of goodness and mercy. I'm on the football field and I'm losing and I need you. Please save me. Make me full of your Holy Spirit. Fill me. Make me born again. In Jesus' name. Help them cry out, Lord, and reach to you. They do not know you. <coughs> In Jesus' name. Amen. Hmm. Kind of ironic. Here I am. The symbolism out here is incredible right now. I have massive fires. I have... <laughs> smoke drifting down through the vent here in the basement i can smell smoke and then i can like i say i can smell the fires of hell that are approaching and a lot of people do not know that the lord has an escape to escape the fires of hell through jesus christ and that's something but anyway hope you guys learned something on that and i just pray that the lord could have used me somehow to bless you all today well with that folks that's it for today's message Till next time on the Christian Marauder, as we explore Bible prophecy in the book of Revelation. With that, you can look at my contact information at the end of this. I'm going to post it here. And with that, uh, roll out the video. Be blessed in Jesus' name. Hope you enjoyed this <laughs> recorded live stream. Amen and amen. God bless. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.